Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That was Joe Satriani with the crowd chant. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope nobody's in a funk. If you're just tuning in, you've never heard the show. This is Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. I'm on every Monday from 9 to 10. You can visit the show blog at getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Standing by is Vanessa Waugh. She's an award-winning, best-selling author and journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle. And her latest book, Forbidden City, has been named one of the most anticipated books of 2022. She's standing by to join us right now. Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations on your book, Vanessa. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, you were on a couple years ago for A River of Stars, and I love that book as well. Uh, Tell me about the latest book, Forbidden City. Well, Forbidden City tells the story of a teenage girl who becomes the protege lover of and lover of uh, Chairman Mao and a poster child for the Cultural Revolution. And I was actually on uh, YouTube watching some of your talks, previewing the book, Mm -hmm. and there was an excerpt that you read, this whole scene with the mom and, you know, how she she doesn't, she wasn't typically very affectionate with her daughter, and she's bathing her, I think, and getting her ready to go. Tell me about that. Yes, the the scene you're talking about is from the first chapter, and May, my main character, has been selected for this mysterious duty in the Capitol, and the mother senses uh, that there could be some danger ahead, but she feels powerless, um, you know, in terms of being able to say no to the party. And May is also quite excited to be able to leave the village and and, and seek out a bigger life. But all the same, this uh, bath that she gives her on her last day in the village before she's about to get picked up is um, a, a moment in where she has the tenderness she's always wanted from her mother, but she also knows it reflects they're parting, and, and, and she has no idea, you know, when or where, um, if they'll see each other again. Vanessa, why was this an important story for you to write? I mean, I know for the past two decades you've been researching and writing about, you know, Asia and specific topics related. So tell me about why this was so important to you. Definitely. Uh, so I'm the American-born daughter of Chinese immigrants, and I've always been fascinated about uh, my, you know, the 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 history and culture of my ancestral homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I was watching a documentary about China, um, and up pops this photo of Chairman Mao. This is about a decade and a half ago. Okay. And Mao was surrounded by all these giggling teenage girls who looked like bobby soxers. And I was <laughs> completely astonished. They had like plaid, you know, fitted plaid sweaters, skirts, and um, it, it turned out that you may or may not know that uh, Mao was a fan of ballroom dancing. I did not know he, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in fact, an American journalist, Agnes Medley, taught him and other top party leaders um, the foxtrot and square dancing uh, in this rebel stronghold in the late 1930s. Okay. Anyway, um, in the decades that followed, there were these cultural work troops um, of young women who would partner with Mao and other top cotter. Um, and for some of them, they went on to become his companions. They would handle his correspondence. They would interpret what he was saying when his speech became garbled. Um, and I was just really struck by, by the question, like, what was it like for a young woman raised to believe this man was a god to then be 
you know, intimate with him, to be in right. his inner circle. Yeah. Um, and that, that really spurred me, that from that photo, I was just inspired. And, it, you know, it was a 14-year journey. It's uh, the first book I completed a draft on, but the third one getting published. Um, and, you know, there were lots of ups and downs, twists and turns. Sure. Came, came close to selling in 2009. Uh, but a little thing called the recession <laughs> kind of sank its chances. Um, but, you know, even as I worked on my other books, I, I couldn't quit the story of May. I was just so compelled to return to to her life. Um, I mean, for me, to me, May is a survivor, yes. um, you know, through the Cultural Revolution, through the inner circle at, uh, you know, at the very center of power in her country. Um, but, you know, uh, survival comes at a cost. And that's something I also examine in the book as well. Yes. Well, this is a great history lesson for people that don't know that Mao was the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party and the founder of the People's Republic of China. And you Mm -hmm. you kind of paint this picture and weave the characters in a great way. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, even for myself as being, you know, born and raised in America, I didn't know much about this chapter of Chinese history, Mm -hmm. which in some ways continues to resonate today. They say Xi Jinping is, um, you know, the most popular leader since Mao. And in in some ways he kind of has, uh, you know, there's efforts to kind of um, elevate him in the same way as as with Mao. And and so I think there's always, the beauty of historical fiction is it's about a time in the past and yet uh, also allows us to reflect on the present in a way that, that we maybe couldn't if we were, you know, just directly absorbing the news. Right. I, I actually see this as a film. I feel like this. Oh, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> well, because I would love that too. Um, and, and in fact, I was I was walking with a friend, and she's like, "Vanessa, I already know the trailer. Yes. It's going to be this." <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was excited. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, she would hear you know, the sound, the music playing, the sound of the footsteps, the the red guard, and masked to to uh, worship the chairman. So. So, yeah, that would be wonderful see? as well. See, you have it, too. There you go. No, I, yeah. c- I can completely see this. I mean, as well as River of Stars. So uh, I think these are very important, you know, stories to share with the world. Did you did you work on this during the pandemic? I did. Um, since it was this 14-year journey, um, it, it was during the pandemic. And I think there's been a question, like, what will be a pandemic novel? Will it be about a virus yes. that locks down the world? Um, but I actually think it's going to influence so many books to come, um, but in sort of a sideways fashion, like the, the, it enters through the window and not the front door. Okay. So um, the pandemic made me think about isolation, about loneliness, which yes. is something that my character and the chairman experience. Oh, definitely. Um, and, you know, the rise of demagoguery and, yeah. and what, what that does and, and sort of mass... Um, you know, mass masses and demonstrations and things like that are also, um, again, if I mentioned what happened between 2020 and 2021, it, it would be anachronistic to the book, but it influenced me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the rise of the Me Too movement made me think about power dynam- dynamics between younger women and older men yes. um, and all of that. I think what's so interesting about historical fiction is that it's about the past, but it's written from the stance of, of the novelist, like however many decades or, or centuries later. And yes. so we get that double vision. Mm-hmm. 
Did you find you were uh, integrating how you were feeling as well mm. in the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, all works of fiction, even if at the surface, are about characters or situations or settings that are lucky, nothing like me. They're born of my imagination. Sure. So, so in a sense, a part of me is in every character and every page of the book because they are a reflection of sort of my, uh, you know, imagining the different possibilities. Yes. That, um, and, and, and bringing myself to those questions. Right. What would you like people to know about the book without giving too much away? It's, I hope people feel invited into a world that they might not know about, but have been long curious about, and that they are as inspired by May as I have. That, you know, she's a character that I have spent nearly a third of my life thinking about, and I hope she's uh, just as compelling to them as well. You have some great reviews, Publishers Weekly. I'm going to read one of them. This is, by the way, for those tuning in, uh, I am speaking with Vanessa Waugh about her forthcoming book, Forbidden City. And if you visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, you can see all information about the book. Uh, here's a great review, which brings me back to the statement about the film. Uh, Vanessa Waugh has written a grand cinematic and captivating novel with robust and compassionate imagination, Waugh brings to life a heroine who has been relegated to the dustbins of history. I love that. Yeah, I was, I was so grateful for that, um, for that blurb, for that endorsement. And there's, you know, it's been getting attention from, you know, publications in like Hong Kong or, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, there's so many, um, you know, the Publishers Weekly Review called it magnificent book page, book page called it historical fiction at its finest. I mean, I, I've been totally bowled over um, and grateful because there were times when I never knew this book would get published. If, if that, I was, just, really? I was just toiling away, hoping for a sign from the universe. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful to talk to you and, and to, 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 to meet readers. And I, I'm just so excited for the book starting to make its way into the world. Uh, I also want to mention that um, you were mentioned New York Times Editor's Choice. Yes, yes, for my short story collection, Deceit yes. and Other Possibilities. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for uh, a girl who grew up dreaming of being a writer, <laughs> whose childhood <laughs> heroes were Joe March from Little Women or Anne of Green Gables, mm -hmm. um, you know, those were all strong-willed young women who wanted to become writers and did. Um, it, it kind of feels like a, it is a dream come true. It's amazing. Now, how do you juggle, you know, life at the San Francisco Chronicle with your love for, you know, researching, writing about what you're passionate about? I mean, are you writing on the weekends? Are you writing at night? How do, how do you make this work? Well, in a sense, with both my journalism and my fiction, I'm always trying to shine a light onto untold stories, um, stories that might inspire a change in thinking and a change in action. So I just let my curiosity guide me. And in some ways, I might return to these issues of, um, you know, selfhood, of immigration, identity, in different ways via both genres. And I think having um, both in my life, being able to do both, um, you know, mutually enhances the other. Um, my time as a journalist has taught me when I'm working on fiction that 
the first draft is not the last draft. Oh, no. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I can work with editors. Yeah. Um, I know how to go out and do research and conduct interviews. I have no qualms hitting up anyone I know or me <laughs> about information I might need for my book. What, whereas um, my fiction has helped me with journalism because I'm more likely to think about narrative arc, about character, about setting, um, movement in the piece. So doing both has helped me excel at both. Um, but in terms of juggling, I mean, I'm also the mother of twins uh, who are oh, turning brother. 11 later this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, we live with my elderly mother. Who, wow. And so it's just every day is, is yes. different. Yes. Um, but I always just try to make the most of the time that I do have. I'm, I'm greedy for it. And uh, also, you know, it's always a process of trying to learn how to protect that time um, where I can do the work that's most important to me. Sure. And at what point did you... Uh you received a fellowship with the National Endowment for the Arts. Yes, I received that in January 2020, and I was very excited because I hoped to do some final pieces of research for uh, Forbidden City, but of mm-hmm. course, the world imploded. <laughs> have had that spring. <laughs> yes, um, but but yeah, I mean that. And then the NEA grant was something I'd applied for, like maybe at least three times on and you know, and you can only apply in fiction every other year because it alternates between fiction and poetry. So again, that was uh, another dream come true. And I actually, I remembered at the beginning of 2020, I'd, you know, gotten this award and was, had some interesting speaking engagements and I had uh, like a book tour plan later this year. And I'm like, I'm really, I think I'm really hitting my stride. Yes. 2020 is going to be a great then, year. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and then March, 2020. And then, <laughs> yeah. So what happened yeah. March 2020? You just were doing things virtually? Uh, yes. A lot of it did switch online. I had all these, my deceit and other possibilities was supposed to come out um, like March 10th, and I was supposed to do this event. And Aww. But then once I saw the Olympics were getting canceled, I'm yes. like, this, this, is, this is much bigger than anything, you know, the little me. Oh, yes. But yeah, I mean, that said, I, I kept up a busy year of virtual events. I taught virtually for... Um, different organizations, and so we, I made the best of it. Um, but it did; it it was a bit nutty. I, I remember when Zoom school was continuing. Like sometimes my mom would be on the Zoom for Rotary Club. Mm-hmm. My husband and I would each be on a Zoom, and my sons would each be on the Zoom. So it was just wow. a lot of uh, drain on the computing power in the house. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope the power doesn't go out. Yes. <laughs> Now, you also uh, were teaching a writer's conference as well, right? Yes, yes. I, um, I taught, I think that year I taught at Tin House and also Hedgebrook. Oh, yeah. Um, and I guess what's, well, I am, it is remarkable, um, particularly with Hedgebrook, I had a student from Japan and, um, and another from uh, Taiwan, and so we had to figure out the right time zone where people from Michigan and at the and East Coast and New York, um, West Coast could all tune in. Yes. Um, and I'm so gratified they, that group still meets because they all met in my workshop and I talked about the importance of, you know, having each other's back, supporting mm-hmm. each other. And I'm just, I'm thrilled when I get updates from them and, and hear that they're still meeting because is great. this writer's life is, is hard. Um, yes. you know, your loved ones love you, but they don't quite understand what, what the journey is. And I'm, I'm so happy when I hear about these friendships, uh, these lifelong um, you know, bonds that form at a residency or a workshop yes. that, that I myself uh, got to experience. And, sure. um, and yeah. Well, it's a lonely 
uh, process at times. You just have to glue your butt into the seat and be alone and in your thoughts and in your fictional world if you're writing fiction, and it's really hard. Definitely. Um, and I think you, we can feel vulnerable to imposter syndrome or feeling like we don't belong or no one could possibly be going through what you're going through, especially if, you know, sometimes people feel like, Vanessa, you seem to be doing great based on social media. Oh, sure. <laughs> sort of like, That's reality. I didn't take, right? I didn't take a picture of myself lying on my side. Exactly. So. Eating potato chips and right. Twinkies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At 9 a.m. Um, you know, what advice would you give to people that are struggling as writers right now? To find community, um, to find people that can commiserate with them and then celebrate with you um, when, when there's cause for that. And I think and by community, I mean find people you're in a writing group with or trade, oppor- you know, pass opportunities along to. Or, you know, you can have accountability buddies where you say, just send me one page a day, like, until you finish this. Or let's get together and all like have a submission party. People will do that where they all submit to literary magazines at the same time. They'll meet at a cafe. That's great. Um, so yeah, finding community is, is so key. But also um, being patient and generous with yourself um, in the way that you may be with other writers, because I think so often we offer that grace to other people and not ourselves. And yes. we're still at whatever stage of the pandemic this is, and just you know we're doing the best understand you're doing the best that you can and that, you know, keep plugging at it and it will accumulate. The pages will accumulate. Was there ever a time over the past 20 years when you thought, oh, this is, this is exhausting or I, I don't know if I will get this published, whatever piece you were working on? Did you have self-doubt? Oh, yeah. I, I was actually at the LA Times Book Festival last weekend and they had different booths set up. And they had a booth for um, applying to business school. And I sort of laughed out loud because I remembered, I think, somewhere in like 2021 or 20 or 2011 or 2012, I thought, huh, okay, if this book thing doesn't work out, maybe I should just go into business, business school. <laughs> Which I talked to a friend who, who, who is in the, you know, finance and did go to B school, and he, he said, you know, Vanessa, you would be a terrible fit. So, I mean, I think... That's you do funny. wonder, like, oh, do I need to get on with my life, or um, wh- what if circumstances change? You know, what what other fallible traits do I have? Um, but, but so that's why I'm so grateful. That is um, and, so and you funny. know, I, I continue to be grateful because there's no guarantees of like how your next book will be received. And, yes, exactly. Um, and and so yeah, just just trying to do what I can. Amazing. Well, I'm so glad you didn't give up for all of our sakes. <laughs> <laughs> You tremendous gift. So where can people find out more about you? Uh, my website, www.vanessahua.com. That's vanessahua.com. Okay. Any workshops you're teaching or anything they need to know, like on Instagram to follow along with Oh, you? sure, sure. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram as well and Twitter. I love interacting with readers there. I'm teaching at the Suwannee Writers Workshop in Tennessee, um, this summer. Oh, I do have a virtual event uh, at um, Houston Public Library on May 10th if people are interested in learning more about me or the book. Okay. Um, but yeah, all that information will be on my website. Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling in the show. Congratulations. Thank you. I, it was such a pleasure talking to you. You too. Take care. Okay. Take Bye-bye. care.
That was Vanessa Waugh talking about her latest book, Forbidden City. You can read more about it on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And within an hour after I wrap, I'll have the podcast of our conversation on there as well. Such an inspiring chat with her. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to air my conversation with Lauren McBrayer, Head of Business Affairs for an entertainment company in L.A. She's talking about her new release, Like a House on Fire, and at 9.45, Emmy-nominated screenwriter Sasha Rothschild. She's going to talk about her latest book, Blood Sugar, and she has written and produced incredible shows like Glow, one of my favorites, The Bold Type, The Babysitter's Club, and The Carrie Diaries. Again, you can read more on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, and Sasha will be talking about her fictional debut, Blood Sugar. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.